talking to Tori Peters, author of Detransition Baby, out now with Penguin Random House. Tori Peters is the author of the novellas Infect Your Friends and Loved Ones and the Masker, which are available free on her website. She holds an MFA from the University of Iowa and an MA in Comparative Literature from Dartmouth. She grew up in Chicago and lives in Brooklyn. Detransition Baby is a debut about three women, Reese, who is transgender, Katrina, who is cisgender, and Ames, who has detransitioned. Their lives collide after an unexpected pregnancy forces them to confront their deepest desires around gender, motherhood, and sex. Author of Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl, one of St. Henry Book's first book club picks and a huge customer favorite, Andrea Lawler says of Detransition Baby, an unforgettable portrait of three women, trans and cis, who wrestle with questions of motherhood and family making. Detransition Baby might destroy your book club, but in a good way. Hi, Tori. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, this novel is sort of a conversation in itself, almost with itself. What is your approach to writing dialogue? I think it's a really important tool in this book. Um, that's, I, I haven't gotten this question before, so I don't have a ready-made answer. This is fun already. Uh, <laughs> Yay. The, um, I, you know, for me, I think it's there's a couple of different things. One is I think dialogue is like a, there's a chance for me to um, tell jokes with dialogue. It's like the first thing is, is that it's like a, it, it, and it's a slightly different voice than the narrator's voice to like sort of have that happen. But the other the other thing I think it is is uh, actually a really great way to push the plot forward. Um, I think about. Um, how that that in a sort of bourgeois, and I mean that like not in a insulting way as often it is, but like in the in the old domestic genre, you know, dialogue is actually where the action happens. It's where characters you know confront each other, and uh, and where the plot where the plot moves. So I like to have like jokes and movement of plot in the dialogue, and then you know as a bonus, you also get to have the characters say things that maybe you as an author don't agree with and see what happens. Is it hard to try to write naturally? I, I find it hard to write, to, to try to write natural conversations. Um, yeah, I think it is hard. I mean, I never, it, it's interesting right now I'm trying to, I'm writing my first screenplays and I'm realizing, um, you know, things about dialogue that I hadn't known. You know, I didn't study playwriting. I didn't, you know, these kinds of things. So it's, um, it's, it is hard. And, and there's things in the book that, um, you know, I wonder if I would have done it the same way this, you know, now that I know what I know, but I'm pretty happy with how it came out. So, yeah. Um, I think so far the most Instagrammed or like socially shared segment of the book is the sex in the city model you break down. Um, could mm-hmm. you explain it briefly to our li- listeners and contextualize its role mm-hmm. for cis women and trans women? Sure. So, I mean, I want to say that this, it's a little tongue in cheek, the, the sex in the city model, you know, but basically I was in my mid thirties and I was looking around to see how the women around me were making it, um, you know, especially like at, at a certain point in their life where like they didn't want to go to parties anymore. Like they were, they were kind of like looking for a kind of meaning in their life. And I generally found that 
most of the cis women that I saw were actually, you know, finding meaning through one of the four models that are like the archetypes from Sex in the City. You know, you could uh, you know, be a be a Miranda, have a baby, be a Charlotte, find a husband, be a Samantha, have a career, or like find meaning in art as a Carrie. And the you know that every generation, even with like all the advances of feminism, all this stuff, but every generation of women was essentially reinventing these four models as the ways to find meaning. But as a trans woman, you know, this is actually, we're the first generation trans women where those are actually options to us, or maybe not even options, but they're like within sight. Like I can almost touch them or other people can almost touch them. And so sort of like the relationship to like these sort of middle-class ideas of how you find meaning, which is partly why I wrote like a, a domestic novel was I was interested in, in putting trans women in relationship with like middle class ideas or you know, ideas of nuclear family and seeing like what happens does the whole thing blow up when you put a trans woman in it or does it you know is it an instant assimilation what, what's going on so the sex in the city model starts out with that um as a sort of model and then coming from a place i think that trans women do instagram which is the sort of tradition of the Lee Edelman, no futurism, and the idea, you know, that you don't reproduce as trans women and that that it's, that your life, by being cut off from reproduction and those sort of middle-class ideas is forever different than the heterosexual world, which is, I think, the argument that Lee Edelman was saying. Are, are, so the question for me was, are trans women in relation to like middle class ideas, fundamentally different, or are there is there actually a conversation to be had? So already before delving into that a little further, I want to ask this part, and I, you know, please feel free to answer honestly. Is this part exhausting? Like, is this a productive feeling for you, having to spend your book tour kind of like teaching to an extent, or is it exciting to be having these conversations to a larger audience? Well, I, I mean, I like your first question and threw me the dialogue question because I, like, I was like, oh, well, how do I feel about dialogue? <laughs> um, so, you know, it's nice because it, that almost always there's something that, like, makes me look at the book a little bit anew. Um, also, you know, I think you read my bio when it, it says, like, you know, I came from an MFA and I, you know, have an MA in comparative literature and stuff. And I think that can give a little bit the wrong impression where it seems like, oh, I'm doing this sort of in a, in a normal trajectory. But in fact, there's like a 10-year gap between when I finished an MFA program and when I wrote this book. And in the meantime, I got in, I sort of moved away from the MFA world and the idea of craft, and I got involved in this like trans writing scene that was happening in Brooklyn, where the um, what was going on with it was it wasn't people from academia. It was people who were, you know, it was mostly just trans girls who had something to say and they were writing not out of craft, but writing out of like anger or frustration or horniness or um, any number of things. And um, a big part of that scene was sharing writing with each other and talking with each other and arguing about it. So you do a reading and people would tell you that you're wrong. People would tell you like, you know, who are you to say this? you know, the questions of race came up, you know, who gets to speak, all this stuff. So part of, and I was really excited. I was really invigorated by that. So part of what I actually came from was, was 
a tradition of arguing about this with people and talking about it in informal ways, not in like panels at academic, at, you know, academic conferences, but podcasts and small bookstores and like anarchist spaces or whatever, like, you know, um, wherever people were, were hosting events, it was cool to go. And I, I was looking, you know, COVID happened, but I was looking forward to the launch of this book as an opportunity to sort of do, to, to, to talk about the stuff that I care about in that same kind of format, um, with that same energy. So the, the idea that, you know, oh, am I repeating myself a lot? Sure. Yes. You know, and that can get tiring, but also that energy of talking with people is, is actually invigorating to me. And it is, it feels like a promise fulfilled with the people with whom I came up with, you know, I, I can't forget them. And so I talk, I go on these things and I talk about who I came up with. So back to the sex in the city theory, how would you feel about a new theory? The detransition baby theory, where someone gets to be an Ames an Amy, a Reese or Katrina, would you consider that a progressive move or just reiterating the same limitations? Um, that's funny. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting when people read the book, they, who they think is the protagonist says a lot about them. You mm-hmm. know, like there are people who are like Reese is the protagonist and you can tell that they've just identified with Reese and that other people are like, you know, Reese is just catty and bitchy. It's like Ames who's like really talking about the real issues. And then there's people who are like, you know, what about Katrina? And, and, um, and so for me, whenever I, people tell me, like when people tell me who they think the protagonist is, I'm just like, oh, that's the book you read. Like, that's what's going on for you. I'm like, that's actually you. You've just like, you've just analyzed yourself for me. Uh, so, uh, but the other thing is that that you just like the Sex and the City characters. It's not clean, right? Like, like Miranda had a baby or got married, and like Carrie got really. It's a romance, even though she's doing about art. And you know, all these they they get blended into each other. And I think that the same thing is true with, with the characters in my book, that, that at some point the archetypes fall apart for everybody. Um, and so the same reason that the Sex and the City analogy has to be tongue-in-cheek, I think the Katrina Ames uh, Reese analogy falls apart because everybody is all of them. So Reese, a trans woman, Reese is a difficult person. I've been working with some writers on pieces for a project, and one writer in particular recently withdrew a piece for consideration. And her, what she said was her character was so difficult, obviously destructive, and it just made her queasy to return to this person at that present moment in her mm-hmm. life. And I'm wondering if you have thoughts on how to protect your own mind as a writer when intentionally inhabiting a person who has a hard time inhabiting life itself. Um, well, that's interesting too. These are really, I really like your questions. Um, the, for me, I think there's a difference between saying this stuff and how I'm afraid it's going to be received. You know, like I don't actually think that I, I find writing Reese to be a pleasure when she's a, when she was, when she's bitchy, when she's catty, when she says funny stuff, that's, that's hard. I'm usually like laughing and sort of like, I'm really going to like write her saying this, you know? And then, and then there's the fear of 
well, what are people going to think when they read this? They're going to think that that you know this came from my mind that I must be like a catty bitch, like I must be thinking this about people, and so I get scared of how people are going to think of me, which is like you know I think a little bit what you're talking about with that writer. I don't want to guess, but the difference between that writer wrote that and there was something probably powerful in writing whatever that was, but then it's out there in the world and oh my God, people are going to read it and they're going to judge me. Um, and I, for me, like a big piece of this wasn't like that being with Reese was difficult. It was the fear of how people are going to receive it and what they're going to think of me. And a lot, I think that's a lot of the work of the, of the writer anyway, is to just be like, uh, you know, it's going to be received how it's going to be. And like, at some point, you have to separate yourself from it and, you know, say what you think is true. And then when people tell you that you're wrong, just accept it. You know, there are a lot of people, you know, who are going to read this in all sorts of political persuasions. And I've read, you know, I've done made the mistake of like term searching it on Twitter. So I know it's already happening that there are people who are like, this is, this is must stop. I don't like it. And, um, here's all the reasons why, you know, or this book is problematic and I think it's my responsibility to basically be like I got the I had the I got to write the book I got to say what I think other people could just say what they think in the reception and I just have to like have the right amount of both openness and boundaries I'm sure many people were asked or suppose you identify with one of these characters more than the other but it seems clear to me that they all have a little bit of each other in them. And I think the thing that they have most in common uh, is that you love them. And I think that just comes across as an author's role to like cultivate a kind of empathy for their characters. But is there a way in which this ties to the spectrum of gender as well? Wait, unpack that question for me mm-hmm. just a little bit. So I'm saying that, first of all, have you been posed the question, like, who do you identify most with in the book? And in answering that question, I imagine it's difficult as just the person who wrote these characters. But in asking that question, is it also asking something about gender? Like, who do you identify with the most also asks what identity do you identify with the most, right? Ah, uh, yes, yes. No, I have been asked that, and I see what you're saying. And it, that's that's true. Um, you know, so Ames is a character who's, like, Reese is very high femme, and Ames is, you know, for readers, who, people who are listening who haven't read it, Reese is high femme, and Ames is, um, has detransitioned and has a sort of kind of dissociated relationship to gender. Um, they're both binary in a certain way. I mean, people sometimes people think of Ames as as embodying some sort of non-binaryness, and I I think there's actually what it, what's going on with Ames is like related to gender not being easily broken down into binaries, but it's a little less in an ident like in an identity way. It's sort of like in a what this is just not working. It's falling apart kind of way. And, um, and I think that, you know, if you think, if you look at the title, it's like, the, it's detransition comma baby. And in some ways that's 
the options for the characters, right? One character detransitions, the other one badly wants a baby because one character sees motherhood as like the sort of ultimate in womanhood. And the other one's like, if I could just be a man, then I wouldn't have to deal with this crap. You know, if I could just make myself feel like it was okay to be a man. Um, and I think that the thing is like, I like most trans women, it's not like you said, it's not either or it's you toggle back and forth. And, and really, I think the thing that's not available sort of to talk about with people is the question of like time or temporality that I'm usually one of these two characters, but I'm, I'm often as not both of them at the same time. I am both of them, but, but, you know, it was like, I'd have a certain relationship with gender and I'd be like, I'm, you know, I would feel like alive writing the Ames parts. And then other times I'd feel deadened writing the Ames parts. Like who's this, you know, person who can't get it together with gender or, you know, same with Reese, I'd feel like the high femme energy. And then other times I'd be like, Ugh, that's not, this isn't right. And, um, and, you know, and now I wrote this book, you know, I finished it two years ago, just in publishing with the way publishing works. You know, now I sort of look at them fondly as like, <laughs> this sounds so old. It's like, I look at them fondly as young ones, you know, young people just with their tri like tribulations and trials. And I don't always relate to it, not in a question of, not in a question of, uh, of uh, gender, but also in age and like maturity and things like that. So there's, there's all those different things that I, I relate to them. I just relate to different things at different moments. I think, interestingly, this ties into the next question, which, you know, I, I'll admit comes from a total place of ignorance on my part, which is, I guess, why I'm asking it. I've heard that the concept of dead naming someone is controversial in the trans community. When someone says, please call me X, you recognize that they didn't enjoy being called Y before. And it, it's probably a name that carries a lot of baggage. So you refer to their past self as they'd always been X. But that doesn't seem like something you were interested in doing for Ames, as you described the different stages of his life. And even the people in his life use different names with him, with Reese continuing to call him Amy post detransition. And I guess I'm wondering if you could explain your choices around naming. Was it a factor in clarity just for the reader or was it something beyond that? I think, I mean, to some degree, it's a marker of what time you're in. If, you know, if it's Amy, you know, you're in the past. If it's Ames, you're in the present. Um, and if it's James, you're in the deep past. So that did happen. But, but Reese does mess it up because Reese doesn't respect Ames's detransition. Reese thinks that Ames is still a woman, just in denial. And to some degree, that's also, I'm sure, how people in Ames's deep past feel about Amy, that, that you know, Ames isn't, and that that would be considered transphobic, to, to think that, you know, the James person who became Amy isn't really a woman. You know? But I think part of it is, like, to give voice to these questions. You know, that's what, that's, this isn't a real person, it's fiction. And that, like, fiction is the place to have sometimes these hard conversations and have them on an emotional level, right? Like, I would never say that about a real person. I would never, like, if a real person was like, this name causes me pain, I would never be like, well, I'm just going to call you what I think. But to have characters do it is to be like, well, what does this mean? How do we talk about it? And I think that one of the important things that I like to see in fiction um, is 
a move away from dogma. You know, there's a lot of the way that we talk about trans politics because it gets talked about so much on social media where you sort of have these like bites of information rather than whole things of nuance, you know? So you have a slogan, don't deadening people, right? And that's a tweet and you can have that. But in fact, it's oftentimes a lot more difficult because it's like, who is it who's dead naming? How are they dead naming? You know, a lot of times, like if someone says something to me, like people I know who I love will occasionally mess up my, you know, pronouns, will mess up my name, they'll do something like that, people from my past. But I know if someone's coming to me with respect, you know? I know if it's like, this is, this. you don't know. People don't know. There's not like a handbook for this unless you're spending a whole lot of time, like, you know, creating one out of whatever is the term at the moment, you know, you don't have to be trans very long before you see cycles of what is correct. You know, I remember, you know, when I came out, it was every, every trans had to have an asterisk next behind it. And now it's like, nobody does that, you know, but it'd be like, where's the asterisk? You're disrespectful without the asterisk. And now, you know, now it's like, no, that that's not, so you don't know what it is. And I don't expect everybody to, to know that. I do expect people to come with respect if they're not part of it, and if they are part of it, like Reese, the ways in which she's disrespectful are actually like freighted with meaning, you know, and we should know what, why is she being disrespectful? What does it mean? And to some degree, how is it that, that trans women talk amongst each other and to each other when, when you're not, you know, in, in, on the public stage? And I think that that's really important because it actually shows a, a level of like this isn't about this isn't about etiquette or dogma. It's about the way we treat each other and actually like thinking about it from like a bit of the heart instead of like did you address me with the correct guidebook sayings, you know? And that's what that's what I want to have in fiction. I love that. Um, I also loved the sex scenes in this book. They're not flowery or like overly violent either. They're sensual even. They acknowledge the attraction of, you know, a wide variety of body parts regardless of gender and, you know, heteronormative ideas. I'm just wondering if you have suggestions to readers or me for novels where we can find more of this approach to sexuality. Sex is notoriously terribly written in books. So if you have recommendations, I will take them. I mean, um, I think there's a lot of a lot of queer books that do sexuality both well and sometimes awkwardly. Like, sorry, I'll start this question a little bit over. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, uh, um, I'm going to start this question over, and maybe you can do it with editing. Mm-hmm. Um, first. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that it's sexy. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, secondly, um, I, you know, I think that there's a lot of queer books that do sexuality very well, and that's and there's a, a kind of frankness about bodies and, and also frankness about the fact that, like, lots of times sex isn't actually sexy, like that it's a bunch of complicated feelings um, and that like there's the fantasy of sex. Like when I, you know, the fantasy of sex is everybody knows exactly where you want to be touched or whatever. And the reality is that most people, uh, when you have it, there's, there's always some kind of bad feelings or some sort of like awkwardness or shyness, you know, and, and 
even amongst the most like practiced lovers. Um, and so I, I thought a little bit about like the questions of dissociation and like the, the interplay of, of what you have, what you have going on in your mind versus what's actually happening and the way that those two things interact. So lots of times with sexy for me, and when I think about sex, isn't just, uh, what's happening but what's happening in my brain and like the slight difference between what's happening in my brain and how i'm wanting to talk about it versus what's actually happening you know and i think that lots of times when you talk about and that's also oftentimes the difference between good sex and bad sex the same act you know can be so so bad you know like a bad touch is the exact same thing as a good touch and what's important isn't how you touch somebody it's how that touch is interpreted and like being in the brain and it, and showing the sort of like variations between when it's good and when it's bad and in and out and all that sort of stuff. Um, and also like sometimes you can't control for it. I read this book, uh, uh, The Cleanness by Garth, uh, Garth Greenwell that is like a lot of, there's a, a lot of pretty graphic sex. And one thing that's interesting is he talks about like the difference in pornography and literature being there's no difference, you know? Um, and so the book does that. Um, but what was also very interesting to me was like reading it and finding some passages really sexy and some passages really unsexy and also understanding that like, that's not how the characters thought of it. Like, like there were characters who found things in that book and maybe the author who found things at certain moments in that book incredibly sexy that I was like, not working for me, you know? And instead of saying like, and, and actually being like into the fact that there are people who can find things sexy that I don't find sexy. And like not, but not basically being like, this book isn't sexy because I was not, you know, in a, in a frenzy reading it, but basically being like, this is sexy because it's sexy to see these two characters into this, you know, in their own way, regardless of how I feel about it. And that's kind of, something I try to bring as a reader of sex scenes. So the St. Henry Book Club recently read a wonderful collection of short stories from Indigenous writer Joshua Whitehead, Love After mm -hmm. the End, um, which is a book in celebration of a two-spirit Indigenous culture that reimagines Indigenous queer love stories in speculative fiction. When we came together to talk about this book, we ended up asking ourselves, like, what is the future of queer literature? Can we imagine a novel, for instance, exclusively filled with non-binary characters? Could we, as a contemporary reader, make sense of a story with characters exclusively referred to as they? Or, as happens even in this book, flipped, which I guess maybe is a little harder to, or easier to track in a heteronormative concept. But I guess we just kind of left the question at that. We were like, what is, what is the future of queer literature? I wonder what what kind of different manifestations are going to happen here? And I wonder if you had any thoughts on this. I do have some thoughts. Um, one is that I'm, I'm just going to kind of lay out a schema here that I think is really interesting, mm -hmm. which is that uh, this comes basically from Joanna Russ, I think originally, but it's about the progression of minority literature. Um, it does not necessarily translate her. In her case, she was just talking about women's literature. But the first thing that happens is that in a minority literature, as you say, we're just like you. And you write these books and you say, just love us. We're just like you. And the second th thing is you read a series of books. You're like, you know, 
don't know if you can swear on this podcast, but basically we're like, fuck you. We're, we're nothing like you. Um, you know, and, and you write in rejection of that. And then there's a third level, which is like, actually we have nothing to do with you. Like we can exist outside of any relationship to you, you know, you being sort of like the mainstream or whatever it is. And then I think, and that's where she sort of stopped it. But I think there's a fourth level, which is that thought from minority literature in, inevitably after it reaches that third level comes back to the mainstream and the mainstream or the center can only see themselves through terms that are defined on the margin. So something like sexuality, straight people now under or heterosexuals, you know, that term was invented after homosexuality as you know, Foucault says and stuff like that, but that straight people understand their sexuality through terms that were created and ideas that were created by, by queers, you know, like straight people are going around, understand their own sexuality through queer ideas, white people now, they, under, they didn't see their race or they didn't know how to talk about their race for, and this has been a huge problem for any number, you know, hundreds of years, right? And now when white people, like the way even that I'm talking about whiteness in this sentence, right? Whiteness, as I'm talking about it, that's, those are terms and that conversation and the way that you think about it that was created by people of color, by black scholars. And so I understand my whiteness through terms that were created by, by writers of color. And I think that something similar is happening now with trans writing, where, tr where cis people, the idea of gender that previously was like, well, you male or female, is now being understood through terms that trans people have created and through the trans people understand themselves. So you go on Twitter and it's like the two genders and it's like a clock and a plant or whatever it is, you know, these, these jokes. But it's like the idea that gender isn't like male or female. It's like your gender is, I mean, right now, I don't know when this will air. Right now, there's all these sea shanty songs that are popular, you know, on TikTok. And like the sea shanty sailor singing, that's a gender, you know, that's, that's, and like understanding that that's a gender, that's trans, that's just kind of trans thought to name that, that's a gender that's happening with those sea shanty songs. And, um, and so when I think about what's, what's going to happen next or where I see literature going is that what's going to happen when trans thought infiltrates and becomes inseparable from the ways that sort of mainstream understands stuff. And, and to that end, I want to talk about a book that is coming out that I found very, very exciting, which is Jackie S, a book called Daryl. Jackie S is a black trans woman, and she wrote a book that I think is an extremely trans book with no visible trans characters, if I remember correctly. It's a story of a white cuckold, like a white cuckold fetishist, trying to understand what's going on in his life, his relationship to like stronger men, to the women in his life. He's you know heterosexual cuckold, and he's just really turned on by being cucked. Um, and the way that Daryl goes on this like sort of journey of discovery, the way that Daryl understands himself in this book is entirely through terms of gender that are defined, that were created by trans people and that understand trans stuff. And so for me, like this was incredibly exciting because it's basically, this is a book about trans thought, about what understanding gender in a particular way can do for your understanding of yourself. Only there's no trans people in it. And instead of it being like, oh, I feel like, I feel, oh, this is appropriate or something. It's like, this is by a black trans woman. 
you know, and she's basically saying like, this is a way to understand identity. This is a way to understand thought and to, to like, kind of be like, and we can separate a lot of different things out and see what, what, what is actually relevant to my experience as a black trans woman and what kind of thought is actually can previously could only be seen in my experience, but is in fact being experienced by everybody. And that to me is like, it blows my mind. And it's, it's really, really smart. It's really cool. And I think that that kind of stuff is that is where I'm excited more than even like the kind of markers of, of well, what happens if you have a book with, I mean, it'd be interesting to have a book with everybody with they, but there, I think there's a bunch of like, it's like a three dimensions in the ways that it can go. That's fascinating. We will absolutely be ordering that book. It's uh, Clash Books, Jackie S. Uh, the last name is E-S-S. Thank you for that. Thank you, Tori. That's pretty yeah. much all of the questions we have. And just thank you for making the time with us. And I'm sure our customers will appreciate it and be buying the book. Um, and I wish you a very lovely book tour, digital book thank tour. Thank you so much. Yeah, digital book tour. I mean, it's, 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 um, I'm excited to come to the bookstore when COVID is over, I hope that maybe when the paperback comes out, I can actually meet and see all these places that have been so kind to invite me to talk. So thank yeah, you so much. Yeah, if you're ever much. in Montreal, come out. We'll hang out. Montreal's great when it's, you know, a normal world and we'll have fun for sure. 